The Spartan Nationals are coming to Jacksonville, Florida, April 8th through the 10th. Wrestle freestyle, folk style, Greco, and beach at the Spartan Nationals. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. That's SpartanCombat.com. Now let's get to the episode with Brandon Paulson. They had these bleachers that kind of wrapped around, and it was like the whole convention center was shaken. I mean, the fans were unbelievable how loud they were. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is a Greco star, Brandon Paulson. Today, he's the co-head coach, co-founder of Pinnacle Wrestling Academy up in the Twin City area. As a wrestler, Brandon was an Olympic silver medalist, a world silver medalist, an All-American for the University of Minnesota, one of the most decorated Greco wrestlers of all time. Love this conversation with Brandon and hope you do as well. Fan of the week goes to our friend Jared Goodwin. He's a wrestling, excuse me, a wrestling coach at Tuttle High School, an Oklahoma City firefighter, and a listener of this podcast. Jared, thanks for listening, and thank you so much for all the support. This episode is presented by Spartan Combat. The Spartan Combat Nationals are now accepting registrations. Go to SpartanCombat.com. The Spartan Nationals are taking place this April 8th through the 10th, where you can wrestle beach, freestyle, folk, and Greco. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. Now let's give it up for Brandon Paulson. Brandon Paulson, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Excited and uh, talk about a little wrestling and or whatever else you want to talk about. Wrestling life, we're going to talk about it all. And I, I was just looking at your Twitter this morning, and I love how engaged you are in pretty much every facet of wrestling, folk style, youth, Greco. I just want to get your thoughts so far on, on the folk style season. You know, uh, some of the rules w- regarding the stalling are getting a little weird. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts on, on, on how you see the folk style season so far. Well, you know, the, the collegiate season is, is crazy as everybody knew it was going to be right with everybody returning. It's like, it's the deepest, toughest um, NCA season ever. I, I think without a doubt, I think they're just uh, the level of wrestling is so high right now. Um, and there's more guys in it right now, just with the um, some of the six year seniors staying around. Uh, so you're going to see crazy results. And I think NCAAs is going to be uh, completely insane. I think there's going to be upsets and I think there's going to be 
some just awesome wrestling. And um, so, you know, it, it's been very, very interesting to watch and, you know, developments when you come into the season and Iowa was basically a lock, you know, which hard to say when you got Penn state out there, but now, now it's the other way around, you know, now uh, one little change and, uh, and it's changed the team race. And so, you know, I, uh, you got um, Oklahoma state losing three duels. Like when does that ever happen? And they'll probably lose a fourth this weekend. I mean, and you got South Dakota state. Some of your guys are there. They're, they're on yep. the up, you know, it's like just things are happening. Yeah. You know, it, it, there a lot of, and, and it's, you know, they lose Ferrari, but some of their other guys just haven't been performing up to what they normally would. And, you know, I think I'm not saying anything that, that Mr. Smith would, uh, wouldn't want me to say, I mean, he, he, he's the same way. I mean, they have some extraordinary talent there at Oklahoma state. And, um, I, I would assume that they're going to be bouncing back and maybe it's part of the training and, and, and that's what, you know, you see these guys and you see some of them not at anywhere. And it's like, whether they're getting tired, whether they're not wrestling great, there's so many things that go into every meet to every match, um, that you just, you, you don't, they're not out of shape. They, they know how to wrestle. And part of it is just their training. Part of it is what they're going through in their life, you know, and, uh, come to NCAAs. I think everybody, if you're healthy, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. And guys and guys like, you know, that, that maybe haven't performed, but we know they're good. They could, they could pop up again. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see. You're giving me excitement for this tournament and, uh, uh-huh. It's going to be great. I mean, up in your neck of the woods, we're watching maybe the best single collegiate season of all time in Gable Steveson. I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen him up close a couple of times this year. It must be unreal. Yeah. It, it's almost like he's getting better. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I know. Uh, like, and right. He's an Olympic champion, but he's, he's still improving. And I really thought going in the first match I watched him this year, um, going into the match, I was like, he can't be in shape. Right. Because He's been doing his Olympic tour. He's been, you know, kind of worrying about other stuff rather than college wrestling. And I was like, there's no way he's in shape. And he went out there and wrestled seven minutes hard. And I was like, my gosh, that's, that's amazing. You know, the, the way he was wrestling. And now he's just, if it can be, he's more confident. And it's like, he's just doing whatever he wants to anybody, <laughs> you know? Yes. So it's, it is amazing. He's uh not only an amazing athlete, people talk about his athleticism, but really his technique is, is phenomenal really. And, you know, and the stuff that he's doing is, is it's not, it's not just cause he's the best athlete. It's just his technique is better and his feel for wrestling is just better. Right. Yeah. So, and I love his, uh, just his mentality. He's going out there chip on the shoulder, you know, treating every match as if he's down by 15 points and, and you coached one of the other big heavyweights, Greg Kirklevit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Greg, Greg's a great guy. And, uh, still work with him a little bit when he comes home, um, which obviously it's not one-on-one drilling. I had to get another guy <laughs> in with him. He's a monster man. And, and it, it, he's just, he's so big and he actually could put on more, more weight, I think, but, uh, uh, he's a monster, I guess, compared to me, but, and, and he's going to fight this year and, you know, he's got Gable and, and Paris and Cassiope and, um, you know, last week he had a tough one in Carver and Carver is a tough place to wrestle though. It's like, I remember when I wrestled there and it, it was, I was so excited. I thought, I thought I was going to go out and put the beat down and I almost got overexcited for like two hours ready for it. Right. Yeah, I'm for two hours. And then I go out in the match and I was like, 
you know, and it's, yeah. it's like never happened to me before. I'm the guy that, you know, is going to, you know, try to put the, the uh, beat down on a guy for seven minutes or for six minutes. And it was two minutes and I had flexed for too long beforehand, excited to just put on a show. And so I understand where he was and, and uh, you know, but again, Greg too, technically is, is uh, extreme. Well, you look at him and you think, guy, he's a big, tall, uh, guy and you know muscular and um it really technically he's very good and that's what he actually enjoys is learning learning new techniques and um trying to improve his craft mm-hmm. um I actually think he needs to improve his athleticism a little bit uh he is the worst dodgeball player we've ever had actually <laughs> him and Emily Shielson are the two worst dodgeball players we've ever had so I'm, I'm a little worried maybe our dodgeball doesn't help I don't know because those two <laughs> turned out okay but and gymnastics they're both horrible at gymnastics which we do every day and uh but no um you know but yeah he's he's a great kid I love him man he just uh he's he just a world level talent and he might be you know third or fourth on the depth chart in folk style wrestling it's like I think back let's get some of those guys that do a little Greco, you know, let's, uh, cause not all of them are going to be on the free. That would make too much sense. Right. <laughs> not all yeah, of them are going to yeah, be on the on. freestyle team. <laughs> well, we got Colton Schultz there. So one of the top, you know, four or five guys that are going Greco and yeah, uh, Greg, actually that's, you know, he was in a body lock position with Cassiope. He's actually pretty good in there. He didn't do very good in there that match, but he's actually pretty good in there too. But uh, yeah, Colton's a, a, a Greco guy. So it was nice to, to have him still training and he actually went overseas, I think, and was going to wrestle. And um, yeah, I would love some more. Just some guys depth training though, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what we need. Definitely. And uh, before we dive into your, your career, you mentioned uh, gymnastics. I know your daughter's an elite gym, gymnast for university yep. of Utah. And yep. it looks like you're following that pretty closely just by your Twitter. How, how is gymnastics doing in terms of wrestling, in terms of promoting the sport? Are they doing things better than we are, worse than we are? Um, you know, it's, it's a very similar sport. And, you know, when I actually started, uh, me and Jared started Pinnacle together as a partnership, we kind of based it off of a gymnastics club, kind of like overtime had started the first wrestling one. And then my daughter was involved in gymnastics and a gymnastics club. And we kind of used some of those same ideas, but as far as marketing, it's kind of interesting because they have, um, their home duels, like Utah's averaged 15,000 fans for the last five years. And but they they, they've had the most, but um, so this year it's a little bit down because it's a little bit COVID related where people are scared, you know, long story, but uh, it's like 11,000, but it's been 15,000 for five years. And then you got probably another, I would say six programs that are averaging over 9,000 or so, which is pretty good. But then you go to their NCAA tournament and there's like 3,000. What? Which is, <laughs> I'm like, we have a thousand from Minnesota going to the NCAA tournament, you know, how do, where is all the Utah fans, you know, why aren't they traveling? And, you know, so it's just, it is a, a, a little bit, I don't know what the marketing is of, of why that is, but it should change. Right. Cause it's, it is super exciting. I went, it was last year it was last year. Yeah. Last year. Uh, and it was crazy. It was down to the last um, routine and who was going to win. And, you know, so it was, uh, is very exciting. It is a little bit different with wrestling where gymnastics, you're kind of seeing very similar routines where in wrestling, everything's different. Every single match, you got eight matches going on and you never know what's going to happen. And, uh, so a little bit, you know, that's part of the NCAA 
type uh, where it's just, it's so awesome. But so, you know, very similar though, they're kind of in the same area, I would say as, as far as where they're at with revenue producing, you know, you maybe have one or two that are breaking even as a college sport and, and the rest, you know, uh, are maybe some of them are close, but then, you know, some of them they're worried about, you got to keep the programs like men's gymnastics. It, it's hardly around anymore. There's like 14 teams. They just dropped university of Minnesota. And actually John Roethlisberger, who is an Olympian university of Minnesota grad, I'm friends with him. And I've had a few talks with him. It's just like, it, we're dying, you know? So, wow. But yeah, they're, they're going through just kind of the same struggles, uh, as wrestling has in the past. So is women's gymnastics on the slide or are they doing strong in terms of numbers? Oh, they're doing pretty strong. I mean, uh, no, there's still a lot of programs. There's not really, they're not really adding programs, but they're pretty strong. I would say kind of like wrestling is now, I think division one wrestling right now is really strong. I think maybe 10 years ago, it seemed like more programs were being cut, but you never know. Like all of a sudden after this season, a team will announce that they're cutting the program and it's, it's a, I think they're on the same type of uh, trajectory. So yeah. Losing Stanford would have been a big hit. Obviously that's that, you know, having a a bellwether school like that on the West coast stick around is huge. And uh, you know, we just cannot forget how close that was, you know, Ray Blake and Borelli, what they did is just um, unbelievable. And uh, you know, coach Cole now leading the charge. When you look at the, the youth scene for gymnastics, I got to imagine it's super organized in terms of the academies. And, you know, I'm an Illinois guy. I'm in Chicago right now. So Barmet and Overtime were just larger than life. When I was a kid, they were unbelievable. And yep. so I have a lot of respect for that whole organization. So what'd you pick up from Overtime and from the gymnastics academies that you're kind of using now? Well, it's like for the gymnastics academies, they had it. They It's been going for a long time um, as far as club. And like, they don't have much high school. Like if you're a high school gymnast, you're really not going on to college most of the time into the division one program. So their club system is very organized, a little bit different than ours, where it's like, if you're in the club, that's the only club you're with. You are, you're not with anything local and, you know, you go to a meet, you're going with that coach. And the only way you get into a meet is if you're with this club and, so it's a little bit different, but, you know, just going into the facility, I talked with the owner of uh, TCT who they're, they're, they're pretty much a top five club in the country. They've had Olympians, they have, you know, five or six division one athletes every year and, and, and kind of seeing how, how they run their, their elite program, their, you know, kind of their optional girls, which are better and really separating between that and some of their uh, maybe girls that, aren't as uh, dedicated, but still want to do gymnastics, uh, which, you know, we try to give people different options as well. Um, But as far as just running the business as well, I talked with him quite a bit. And over time, Jared and Bormet had uh, ties beforehand, and we could kind of follow what they were doing with their, with their preseason and their freestyle and Greco and, and how they, uh, how much they're wrestling and what tournaments they're going to and, and how they're running things. So um, it was a good example to follow. And they were still around when we started um, as far as where Matt was still there. So yeah, um, we could ask him questions too, when we needed to. So uh, it was, it was good for us to follow that. And then, you know, everything worked out. So, so, you know, I, I know this, I think I know a little bit of the story. You and Lawrence are, you know, Minnesota guys getting together, starting this awesome academy, but what's like, what's the full origin story and how it kind of came to be and what's the status yes. now? 
So uh, Jared's when Jared was still competing, he uh, was he started Pinnacle as like a you know he was in a high school for a little bit, whereas like once a week on Sundays with the youth, and then he you know started a high school preseason program, and then he used Augsburg for a little bit and um, different locations. Um, and during that time, I was training in 2004 while he was still training. Um, and I've said this before, but he was actually. Uh, on deck of my marathon match, my 17 minute match with Dennis Hall in the finals Olympic trials. He was actually on deck. Um, so he had to wait 30 minutes for me to, to finish my match. And, um, but so we trained kind of together. We were in the same practice room, obviously Greco and freestyle was different, but it was still, we were training together, knew each other uh, and were friends. But then after 2004, when I was done, I was still coaching, but I helped him out a little bit where he just called me up. He's like, Hey, can you give me any help, uh, you know, technically, can you watch some tape and that type of thing for freestyle? And so we kind of uh, created a bond there where um, we knew each other and he's like, Hey, you know, I got this thing on the side going. If you ever want to join up uh, just let me know. And at the time I was helping out my dad with a, a general contractor business. So I, I wasn't coaching full-time. And then after uh, Deitzler made the Olympics, you know, out of high school, I kind of figured out that this might be my passion and something that uh, I could do. And uh, so we, we met up and like, Hey, if we're going to do it, let's, let's get a facility and, you know, go all in. So we really started out with a good group of kids of, as far as like athletic talent and our first group uh, of youth. And these guys were like fifth grade was like the McKee brothers, the Shilson's, uh, the Brady Berge and his, his six-year-old brother Bennett now, who's, who's 18 and, um, you know, Marco and the Benz and, and it was all these guys and Rob, uh, they were just like, you know, between six and 11 and started them out. And I, in a couple of years, it was like, my God, these guys are gonna be good. And, uh, you get guys good and more people come. So, um, so it's, it's worked out. So, yeah, no, it's an unbelievable. And I, I just love, you know, reading about the facility and, and the kind of the way you guys structure it. And just, you know, I, you know, anytime there's a business that's supporting wrestling coaches and, and giving kids an opportunity, it's awesome. And the other thing I was going to ask you about it is when you look at the kind of the kind of the in-season program for the high scores, are you still allowed to work with them? Because in Illinois, it's really funny rules on how you can do that. Yeah, uh, Minnesota is different. I know a lot of schools you can't, but Minnesota, you can have, uh, basically, you can uh, have a, a practice. It's, I, I don't know if they call it a clinic or whatever it is, but um, you can do an op for certain sports. It's not every sport, mm-hmm. but for us, for the during season, and we just have really a technical practice on a Sunday. We still have quite a few kids. I mean, there's probably uh, in our high school with our middle school, there's probably over uh, over 100. They don't always come. But um, uh, very technical, though, we don't they don't need to go that much live unless they don't have partners. So at the end, we kind of give them an option if you want to spar, if you want to play, if you want to go live, but more troubleshooting. OK, let's get into techniques that we did in the fall that we were doing three, four days a week. Uh, make sure we're hitting that again. And uh, but then, OK, what do we what do we need to do to to be at our best? And, and so, yeah, it's it's good to see them during the season, too. And. Um, some people just don't have the same resources, right? You have some kids that go to a, a simile or a Stillwater or a St. Michael or a Casson or, um, you know, a Shakopee or whatever, or a Noka, 
but then there's some that, you know, they're, they're at schools that maybe wrestling isn't a priority and, and yeah. whatever. So it's, you know, uh, they need, they need more. So. And the, yeah. the, the region you're in, the amount of guys who went to the U who stay there. I mean, I've had Dietrich on, I've had a thorn on, and it's just like the whole community there is just so big into wrestling in, in Minneapolis and the twin cities. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to have that base. And for a club like ours, it's important to have that. Uh, that's one of the things that really for clubs that succeed, you need to have a population base, right? Yeah. It's hard to be out where people, all the people have to drive. Now, you know, we have, I bet the average drive time is probably 45 minutes to an hour, but we have enough of that within that, that, that come and then people will drive longer because there's all those partners there and you got, you know, yeah. you a pretty good coaching staff along with Jared and I, but a lot of others as well. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. And that's obviously what you're doing now. And, you know, everyone remembers your name from, from the, your Greco accolades, but I, I didn't realize that when you got second in 96, you were a student at the U. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I wrestled at the U and, um, was an all American and had, you know, I think, uh, there's my dog saying hello. Um, I think I had, uh, um, I'm going to walk as I talk here for a second. So Perfect. sorry. Otherwise he's going to keep barking. No problem. Um, we, you know, wrestled there. I took an Olympic year off and Greco was always my, what I wanted to do. And was always my goal was the Olympics uh, since I was 10 years old. And, and, and when I was 10, it might not have been Greco, but the Olympics were. And uh, so it's, since I was about 14, it was Greco was my main priority. And uh, I still, wrestled I wrestled folk style I wrestled a lot of freestyle um that's what actually what I started in when I was six my first wrestling wasn't folk style it was freestyle uh from and I didn't really wrestle folk style till I was probably 11 or 12 wow. um so I wrestled freestyle and Greco first and uh then got into folk style basically in middle school um but yeah the U is a great experience um and you know it's had some great matches and some couple tough round of 12s, but finally popped through my last year. Um, but it man, college wrestling's a grind, but it helped me with my Greco as well. Just, uh, the toughness it takes and, um, you know, just even wrestling folk style helps with my, I thought helped with my Greco. Now it's, uh, my, the two are a little bit different, but it, you can still take, take things from folk style for Greco and Greco for folk style. So. Well, plus you got to hang out with the great Jay Robinson, not hang out with, but you know, you were, yeah. uh, you were his, uh, his athlete and, yeah. you know, um, you know, that was during the rise of Minnesota, you know, eighties, he got there, kind of had that Dave Dean class and, uh, yeah, yep. they popped through, but I mean, just take us inside a Minnesota room during those, those early years, like when you're a freshman and just trying to get your feet under you. Well, you know, when I was, uh, when I, when I went there, I, we had a chance to win it like my freshman year, not my true freshman year. Uh, I was going to red shirt for sure. And then, but my next year we had a really good team and I knew going in um, when I first got there, I was like 122 pounds and 118 was a class, but this was day before weigh-ins. So the 118 pounder at the time, my true freshman year weighed about 142 pounds. He was huge. So, and, and he was the only 18 pounder. So our 26 pounder was like 138 and was an all American. And, but that was like my next closest guy so uh 15 pounds heavier than me so I got I just got the beat down every day you know just got rode out every day you know it was just it was it was hard 
you know, cause I was just, I was still a little boy and, and didn't have my man muscles yet. Um, in my next year, I gained a little bit of weight, but I was still small as a freshman, but that team that we had, that was, uh, we beat Iowa and Oklahoma state, uh, in Minnesota in straight weeks. And we're the number one team in the country. So it was, and there were close duels. I had a great match with Mena and pulled one through. And the next week, actually, Oklahoma State, um, they had a, a guy at 18, Joey Wilderson, that ended up not making weight at my weight. Um, but we ended up winning that one as well. So we, I mean, we had a great team, but uh, went into nationals. And uh, I think we were a little bit fried and ended up 13th. So, uh, Yeah. Number one as a dual team, we actually at the the last dual meet of the year, we lost to Penn state. We're the number one team and lost to Penn state uh, in a close one. So it dropped us down to two, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, how'd you do at the big 10? Um, it, we did okay, but we were on the downslide. Got it. You know? Um, and I think it was a learning experience for the coaches too. Um, just of, you know, how to train, how to peak and, and that type of thing. And, Um, but you know, and then that next year we weren't great, but it was, we were building again, where by the time I was a senior, you know, we were top three again. And that was when guys like Hartung and Kraft and stuff were around and, uh, you know, kind of bringing us to a new level where we had a chance to, to win a national title every year, basically for the next seven, eight, nine, ten years. Right. It was a, a, a great run of, uh, some great wrestlers and, um, you know, it's fun to be around that group. And I, you know, I continued training after 98, I continued training until 2004. So I was still around, like, that's where I trained kind of my base was at the U of M, not necessarily with, with the folk style guys, but I'd always grab their guy and be like, Hey, can you come to practice later or whatever? That was where I trained. So I was around the group and it was great to be around them. They're a hardworking group. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a good time in Minnesota wrestling. So, oh, man. I mean, and, and for people who I've had on who grew up during that era, you know, I grew up an hour from Carver Hawkeye, even though it was in Illinois, we were massive Hawk fans. And, yeah. um, but for kids during that era, like the, the Deichlers of the world, from what I hear, the University of Minnesota wrestling was just massive at that time. It was, it was just like uh, everybody went to the meets, all the little kids went to the meets and, and that's what you followed, you know, the Thorns and the Zilberbergs and Deichler and those guys, uh, the Nests and, uh, kind of coming through and and followed the Gophers and and kind of got them interested in wrestling and um, you know it continued on and they you know it was it was big we had some great great crowds we we were at the Pavilion for a while which we could get like sixty five hundred or something and we can somewhere around there we could fill that thing up and so Jay was you know Jay did well was really promote wrestling right he loved to try to have big events so we had a couple, a couple meets with the 15,000, the 13, the 14,000. And that just got so many people involved. And, and really that was one of uh, Jay's strengths is uh, trying to do something different. He wasn't scared to do something different with wrestling and try to uh, increase a fan base and, and market and that type of thing. So, yeah, um, I love Jay Robinson, man. He's the man. And what a, he's a, he's a Mount Rushmore kind of guy in wrestling. And you remember that target center duel when it was Iowa, Minnesota, yeah. like, did that happen often? Or is that a one, one, one time thing? We didn't have the target center. We went into Williams arena, basically where the basketball team was. So, you know, I think that held like 14,000. We had some monster loud uh, fans there as well, where it wasn't a target center. I think we might've did it there two or three times. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, the couple times he did it worked out really well. And then uh, the Williams were as well when we had Iowa or Oklahoma State or something. It seemed like every year we'd have like one big duel yeah. in one of those big arenas where you'd have a bunch of fans because you couldn't fit everybody. Uh, you know, a couple of times it would sell out at the pavilion. They're like, well, let's get to a bigger venue. And and he had always promote that well. And, and you know, just the Minnesota wrestling community, everybody went. So yeah. pretty, pretty awesome stuff. And you were right in the thick of that. And, you know, you look at your career. You know, when I when I knew you got second in 96, I just assumed you were full time Greco at that point. But, you know, as we talked about, you came back. Were you ever considering not coming back after getting second? Yeah, you know, for me, like even coming out of high school, like there wasn't a place I could go. Uh, there wasn't an Olympic training center uh, that had a full time program. There wasn't a northern Michigan. And I would have considered um, going to something like that. But I really, you know, Minnesota, we have the Minnesota Storm, which is they had Olympians since 1968 until this past uh, Olympics, you know. So wow. uh, our Greco, our Greco is uh, um, have a pretty good program here. And Dan Chandler is a coach. And so, you know, sticking around, I still knew that's what I wanted to do. So when I got done with the season, I was training Greco uh, from March till till whenever. So, you know, I think my my sophomore year I decided to take the Olympic year and that year I traveled quite a bit I went to Russia for a month I went to Sweden and Norway for a couple weeks and uh, I'd go out and train with Dennis Hall for a week or two at a time or out to Olympic Training Center and and uh, I ended up gaining I was like 142 pounds or so by the by the end of that year when I was uh, wrestling so I gained you know and like I said when I was coming in I I was like 122. So I gained like 15 to 20 pounds and became a man during that year, uh, a little bit different training, a little bit different weightlifting and that type of thing. And, uh, so different how? Uh, it happened at the, it happened at the right time. I don't know. I must've had testosterone going through my system and I felt really strong and, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was awesome. It, uh, that Olympic year that I took off and, um, you know, and then after winning the silver, you know, kind of a funny story. So, Marty Morgan was uh, the assistant coach at Minnesota and he was a guy everybody respected, feared, but respected, but he was also my teammate at the time. It was like, everybody feared him. And especially like even the, the next generation of guys like the Lawrence and the Becker and, and the Eggham and the Hartung. Uh, I mean, he was, he was their leader and they wanted to run through a wall for him. And, uh, but for me, it was, he was my teammate as well because just the Greco circuit, I would travel with him, you know, he was on the teams at the time. And, um, so he was kind of a friend, but also my coach. So it was a little bit different, but I walked off the mat after my semis, after winning a medal and we go through the press area and you talk or whatever. And then I'm kind of going into the back and, and Marty was like pumping his fist and he's not a real excitable guy. He's the stoic, you know, like, yep. Shaking his head, but, He's like, yeah, great job, Paul. So he's like, remember, you told me you're coming back. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm coming back. You know, and it was, it was just, it was kind of funny, but yeah, you know, it was, it was hard, you know, coming back. And I actually was having a really great season my first year coming back. And um, I tore ligaments in my ankle and then I had surgery on it. And this was like at national duels. And then I, my uh, surgery, my pin that I got put in, it got infected. So I was on my crutches two weeks before the big tens. And um, so it was kind of a mess after the national duels and it was a tough year, but 
Um, I'm glad I came back and, and wrestled for the U and cause I, you know, I could wrestle my Greco after that and really continued to wrestle for six years after. And, um, so I was blessed to meet my wife at the U too. So that, that worked out well. And, um, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I loved my time there and, and it was hard. It was a style that I don't, I didn't enjoy as much, but, uh, I learned a lot from it. And like you said, there wasn't a lot of opportunities to train Greco full time. I mean, what, like, yeah. where were you going to go? You know, I've had yeah. Dennis Hall on. He's like, I would train with the D3 program. And that make, made up my own workouts, basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for, uh, for me, it was the same. Even after it was like I was working and Dan Chandler is my coach, but um, I had to figure out times to work out. And I figured out a way to coach myself. And I'd go over to see Dennis. I'd go over to Olympic Training Center for four or five days. I'd come back and I'd train. I would grab you know, Leroy Vega was a, a guy that I used to grab all the time and, and some other guys at the U, Brett Lawrence and Pat Connors. And these guys would just come and work out with me like, OK, I need a workout partner Monday. I need to find one for Tuesday. I need to find one for Thursday and I need to find one for Friday, <laughs> you know, so I need to find a workout partner every day. And I did have a guy from uh, Eastern Block, so it was Moldova, come over and uh, he was just by chance moved to Minnesota. And he was one of my main workout partners during that time as well. But um, yeah. And there just wasn't that many opportunities to do it. And you know what, right now it's a, it's not that much different, unfortunately, you know, for a while there, we had the Olympic training center that had, you know, 20 guys that were training there. And uh, now there's a few, but, you know, I'm looking at my son right now, who is a junior in high school and he plays football and he wrestles folk style, obviously. And he, wrestles Greco and he doesn't know what he's going to do, but I'm like, where do I send him if he wants to do Greco? You got Northern Michigan. Well, there's 25, 30 guys and one, you got one choice. Wow. <laughs> where else? You know, and people ask where, what, what's wrong with Greco? I mean, where's the opportunity? And this is coming from me where like, I, I should know as much as anybody in Greco. I'm still involved. I still train the seniors. I still go to the world championships. I'm and there's, there's no opportunities. There's, there's 30 spots for, to get a college education compared to what is there for folk style? Is there, is there a couple thousand? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. when you think of the roster spots of, of folk style. Um, so, you know, it's something that, you know, hopefully, you know, we can change here in the United States, but until it does, it's going to be hard to, to get back on top. So. And it make matters worse in other countries, Greco's the number one sport more popular than freestyle. Yeah, like Norway and Sweden and Denmark and, you know, some of those Nordic countries, there there isn't freestyle. You know, there's now there's women's freestyle, but they don't really have a men's freestyle program, you know, and then other countries like Hungary, it's, you know, it's a um, Greco is Greco is king and and Russia kind of has both. You know, if you look at Russia, they have like the Dagestan area and the Chechnya area of that's freestyle. You go into Novosibirsk up in Siberia. That's where like Karelin and Blasov and those guys, that's, that's Greco, you know? So, um, and, and there's a lot of countries that, that are, that love both and the U.S. We just haven't caught on just, I think, you know, cause freestyle is so much similar to folk style. So, yeah. Well, I just don't think a lot of people realize how much tougher Greco is outside the U S and how serious it is for a lot of countries. And it's just, well, it's yeah. I mean, we're behind regardless when we get in, even if they start going full-time at 17, they're behind because you got guys that they started when they were, and even 
you know, wrestlers from other countries, if they start when they're 10, they're starting with Greco and that's what they're doing. Right. So just think of the feel of, of lifting a guy up, you know, they, when they're 12, they can lift a guy up from the mat and throw them. Like, I mean, it's, it looks so easy for their kids to do. And when we're 17, it's a struggle to, to lift a guy. So it's yeah. uh, just a different feel. And I love the sport. I love to go out there and hand fight and try to put the beat down on somebody. It's like a, you know, I a legalized hand fight. Um, you watch Pat Smith and it's, you know, uh, it's, I mean, you're just fighting for your life. Right. Yeah. And then you get to pick a guy up and throw him or throw him from the feet or whatever. I was always a big underhook guy. So that's what kind of got me into Greco. I love my underhook and I have a little throw from the feet I liked and it started from there and kind of expanded. So, um, you know, I love the sport and I understand everybody else, you know, might not, but, uh, still trying to grow it here in the U S I think it's important. And, uh, it, you know, a lot of guys who, you know, maybe early on wrestled Greco, their gut wrenches are ridiculous. Like Dan Dennis was an Illinois guy, big Greco guy. And you know, his freestyle gut wrench was crazy. So I know you want guys to wrestle Greco all the way through. I'm just saying there's a lot of parallels and I don't got to tell you that. I'm sure you're talking to people all the time. So during your Olympic redshirt year, you went to Russia for a month. Yeah. So I had a Russian coach out the year before just so happened like this Russian coach was a national team coach and his son moved to Minnesota he wasn't like a wrestler. He wrestled, but wasn't, wasn't just a wrestling guy. Right. So he moved to Minnesota. Somebody, somehow he contacted Minnesota USA wrestling and said, Hey, I'm a, my dad's a national team coach. I'm a wrestling guy. If you need a coach or looking for a job basically. And so my dad hired him as just like, you know, to help out like his construction business. So he's worked construction <laughs> for him or whatever. And the guy's like, my dad's a national team coach of Russia. And we're like, well, what is that? Is he really? So he actually came out to Minnesota for two weeks and uh, uh, trained with me and uh, helped me out or whatever in 1995. This was like the spring or summer. And then uh, he's like, why don't you come out to Russia and train with us? And I was like, okay, let's do it. So this was like the middle of November to the middle of December, you know, and it was Moscow. So it was basically the same weather as Minnesota, right? Mm -hmm. It's 20 to 30 degrees, but they had a national team camp for, you know, it was like two to three weeks. And uh, so I went out there and trained and actually like two weeks in, I got hurt, unfortunately. So I couldn't wrestle a lot of live the last two weeks, but it was an interesting uh, trip. Definitely. You know, there's, I, I didn't speak any Russian, you know, I learned like 15 words, but really nobody there spoke any English. So the whole time, not that I like to talk to people a lot anyways, but I, there's no, there, I had one guy that was my weight that tried to communicate and really he, he knew some English and, I got along with him really well, but there was really no, no real uh, true communication other than, you know, trying to do moves and, and that type of thing. Like, uh, so it was an interesting, interesting uh, trip. I, re I remember coming home really from that because I was by myself and really nobody, nobody else. So I remember coming home and like, it was the best Christmas ever because it was, I was with my family and I actually had people that I, you know, knew and could talk to and, and whatever. But um, so, yeah, I, it was, it was definitely helpful, but, um, interesting being by myself without anybody else there had to be lonely. I mean, uh, very yeah. lonely. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm kind of an extrovert normally anyways. So like, I'm, I'm pretty good in front of a group. Like I could, I, I'm more comfortable in front of teaching 500 kids how to wrestle than I am maybe in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Like 
I'd rather just be by myself unless I'm, you know, with my wife or family. Yeah. Uh, kind of like how I am. So it was lonely, but, uh, you know, and that's why maybe Christmas was great. But, you know, after a month of it, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to see some people that I can talk to and, and, and do something in Moscow, maybe not my favorite place. And I've been back since maybe not my favorite place in the world. Um, there are some places in Russia that are awesome, but, uh, the people aren't always happy there seems like, so I don't know. <laughs> How different was the actual practices? I mean, and was this like their Olympic national team, like the legit yeah, guys? This was a, yeah. It was like their number one guys. You know, I saw guys that had medaled in the worlds and some guys that, you know, when I was in junior worlds, they were, they were the guys winning it at junior worlds and, and uh, whatnot. So it was all their best guys. So um, it was, it was different. I mean, it was still very technical, but most of the days we would do like a, 45 minute technique on the mat and then do our lift. Right. And then at night you do a little bit more techniques bar and, and, and go live. So we did a lot of two days on the mat during national team camp, but it was like, you still lifted, but it was after a little bit of technique and stuff. And then, okay, let's just, and they didn't do like a, it wasn't like a conditioning lift. It was okay. We're going to do our, our uh, kind of cleans. They have a different, different uh, version of them, but some different kind of lifts that they did that were, were important for Greco. So, um, and then there was days off and whatnot, but you know, no, I, I enjoyed the training and uh, enjoyed some of the technique and just different techniques that they did and uh, where they're comfortable compared to where I was, where I wrestled folk style so much. It just, I wasn't as comfortable. So um, definitely learned a lot. And I know I'm, I'm asking, cause I know I'm going to get message this. If you can remember what different lifts were they doing that maybe a young wrestler listening says, uh, a lot of times it was at, I think it's called a high, I think they, a high pull. So you do like a clean, but you're just, you're just trying to pop it up. And it mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily technical, but it was like uh, the explosion. And then uh, it was a lot of different core, which I took, um, whether that was uh, grabbing a, a bench and bringing it side to side, you know, like a seat, a sitting bench, you know, or that type of thing or a bar and you're, you're using your core, but they did a lot more core than I had done before that. But after that, I basically, that's what I worked on. Cause I think that was so important for especially Greco, but all wrestling and core by I mean core. Most people think stomach, but I, I always call it my stomach and through my lower back, um, that whole area, uh, they work quite a bit. And that's what I ended up doing for me. Like at the end of every single practice, it was five to 10 minutes of core. And, uh, um, I think that helped my wrestling career immensely. And we're now my core is still strong from, from 20 years ago now that I'm old. So it's, um, and I don't do any of that now. <laughs> so, so when you started, uh, so yeah. when you started doing it, so your five to 10 minutes, would it be like the medicine ball, like you said, kind of bouncing it on the side, that kind of stuff or. Uh, no, I just did a lot of different things, but you know, a lot of it was like the Superman position, which I got there. Um, you know, our hollow holds, our toe ups, you know, you're hanging from a bar and which is very hard if you don't have a strong core trying to bring them up to your hands, basically. And then sometimes it was medicine ball, bringing it back and forth. But I tried to get something in and, and change it up quite a bit. But uh, lower back was really important. So holding the ball out while you're doing a Superman or a, or a dumbbell or whatever I could grab at the time, wherever I was, depending on the situation, you know, you can do core anywhere. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Had to be a one of those you know experiences that you you forever remember. I mean, that many Americans get that chance to go with the Russian Greco national team, and then yeah. you know the next year '96 you make the team, 
And I've heard, I've read an article that you said, you know, 96 was just amazing. And, you know, Greco was early on in the Olympics. And so uh, you got to experience the whole thing, but just kind of walk us through like, you know, your semifinal match, you're walking out there. What's it sound like? What's it feel like? Well, first I didn't walk out of anywhere. I was pumped up. I was, I'm I'm kind of the energy guy, right? So uh, I couldn't hold it back. It was, I remember before the semis, I was so pumped up and, and, you know, you're, you're sitting out there and they call your name and normally you have your, your guide in front of you that's walking and you walk out to the mat. And I just said, Hey buddy, I'm running. So if you want to guide me, you're going to have to go pretty fast. So uh, actually one of the guides, and I don't know if it was my semis or not, was like a high school coach in Minnesota. Um, so yeah. Wow. Uh, he's like, yep, we're good. Yeah. It's crazy. He's, he was involved in volunteering and whatnot. And, um, so I ran out to the mat, I got a big jump in and I was, I was ready to go. I was just, I was so excited, you know, and that I kind of always was, you know, before my matches, I wasn't the calm demeanor guy and maybe I should have been, but I think with my training, I, I, I trained hard enough that if I had to use some energy up beforehand, I was okay. And, uh, I remember again, Marty Morgan saying to me, well, I, I, you know, I normally have this spark drink, this Advocare spark like 30 minutes before I wrestle. And I'd forgot it that day. And he's like, Paulson, you can get pumped up on warm milk, you know? So um, I was, I was, I was super excited to wrestle and I ran out there and, and, you know, that match, I, um, I fell behind early, but uh, I kept the pressure on and really kind of a, had a folk style mentality a little bit. Whereas a five minute straight match and I wasn't letting the guy breathe for five minutes and was all over him and snapping him and pulling him and doing whatever I could and um, ended up pulling out the win. And I, you know, I wasn't supposed to make the team really, you know, I believed I could make it. My coach believed I could make it. My dad did, but really that, that's about it. Right. I was a number two guy. The guy that was number one had beat me eight straight times. Uh, I'd scored one point on him in that eight matches. no, five straight times and I scored one point in those five matches and I ended up making a team beating them two straight. And so I wasn't supposed to make the team much less, much less metal. And, uh, so, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. I, I, uh, for me, my, when I was 10 years old, I had an Olympic dream, right. And still right now, like the first day of the Olympics on, I watched Italy versus Norway and curling, you know, I just, uh, I, I just, uh, I love the Olympics. So it was when I was in sixth grade, I would tell everybody, my classmates, that I was going to be an Olympian. And, um, you know, so actually when I made the team, they're like, yeah, we, you, you always said you were going to, we knew you were going to, <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that easy. But so to, to know that I was going to win a medal was, uh, was phenomenal. And, you know, I got <clears throat> opening ceremonies again for me. I love the, Olymp- uh, the Olympics. So opening ceremonies, it was like, two days before weigh-ins or something like that. And I, my weight, I was huge. I was 114 pounds and I was over 140 training. Ooh. So I was huge, but it was, and you're going to go, you had to stand on your feet for about eight hours. It's like eight to 10 hours. You go wherever, but I was like, I ain't missing it. And, uh, cause a lot of it, you know, you want to, you want to train and you want to be at your best and you want to peak, but for me, it was a it was so much, it was so emotional and just walking in the opening ceremonies, I think helped me win my matches. Cause it was just like, you know, again, I got, got my hair standing up right now. Let's go. You know, I walk up, you know, and I get to this, 
you walk up this ramp and I get to the top and I'm looking down at the stadium of hundred thousand fans with flags and, you know, cause it was in Atlanta that year. So it was yeah. like, it was that walk, walk around the track was, man, it was, it was something. Uh, so, you know, and I, I, you know, I lose in the finals to Armin Nazarian, who's now one of the best ever. He is a couple time Olympic champ, like four time world champ, two time Olympic champ, something like that. And, um, he was, he, uh, anyways, he was, he was a pretty good wrestler, very strong. And, um, but I got to spend another 10 days after that, like living the dream. Right. Um, I'm at the Olympics. I got this pass. It's like, I got my pass. I got my pass. I'm, I'm going to all the different, you know, I probably saw 10 different events and, um, you know, I had a lot of fun in Atlanta for that next, that next 10 days and enjoyed every bit of it. When the fact that it was U.S. fans cheering you as you walked out there for that semifinal match, I mean, how, how into it were they that that day? Yeah, and it, it was crazy. It's in like a convention center, right? So you're like, oh, it's a convention center, but they had these bleachers that kind of wrapped around, and it was like the whole convention center was shaken. I mean, the fans were unbelievable how loud they were, and I can't find the video now. Uh, I. I'm still searching for it. I have it somewhere or my dad has it somewhere or whatever, but somebody tried to tape from the, the stands and it's just, the tape is just shaking back and forth because they were so loud. And, and when I won the silver, I probably over celebrated because you know what? I'd never been there before. So, um, you know, I, uh, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe how loud they were. And I don't even know how many fans, there might've only been five or 6,000 or something. I'm not sure how big the stadium was, but uh, they were definitely loud and, and ready to cheer for any USA guy. And we had a pretty good team that year. We ended up with three medals in Greco. So in uh, freestyle, we had a great team as well. So I think yeah. they, they might ended up with four or five and a couple, at least at least two or three golds. So, yeah, it was it was Just phenomenal. Unbelievable. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to ask you about your career from like 98 through 04 when you really, as you say, became a professional, dialed it in. But, you know, yep. Um, that'll be another time, but I did just want to wind down with this. So you get back from the O four trials and Jake Deitchler is somehow sitting on your porch. Effectively. Well, his coach, his coach was sitting on who was my teammate. His porch, <laughs> his coach was in my driveway when I got home and, uh, he's like, I got a guy. And I'm like, great. You got a guy. He's like, I can't, I can't give him enough. I need help. I'm like, ah, I, so, you know, now is not the right time, but but this then, is literally uh, driving home from the, like a heartbreaking experience. You get home and he's there. He's there. He's oh there. He's a guy. I got a guy. I got a guy. And, you know, Jake ended up calling me every Sunday night. He would like, Hey, want to work out? Hey, can I have some help? Hey, every Sunday. And there is some Sundays it was like, I wasn't picking up the phone and he would call me five or six times. Like, you know, until I answered and I'm like, okay, you know, when a guy wants it that bad, you, you had to help him. And it started out as that. It was like, yep, okay, let's let's go on Tuesday. And, you know, we would wrestle and I would help, you know, coach him and and whatever. And it turned out to be something special and something I really still cherish where, you know, the things that I put him through, how much hard work and how much dedication and and the, you know, what he accomplished was amazing. Being an Olympian right out of high school and and oh. in Greco, where, you know, he had before I met him, he really hadn't done very much of it at all. And uh, he just bought into whatever I said he did. And uh, he was an amazing athlete, but also just uh, so very coachable where, you know, he would do whatever you said. And um, 
learned how to lift at a at that age where you know I'd make them do like a hundred lifts a day and not every day, but it's like okay, you got a hundred lifts today, and you know by the by a year, a year and a half, you're gonna you're gonna be able to lift somebody up and throw them. And um, uh, so it, he was um, he was fun to work with, and I still am friends with him now, and still talk to him now. And he uh, it was an amazing uh, last couple of years, and really when he and you know I know we're running out of time, but when he made the team, it was as excited as I was when I made the team. I was just so happy for him and seeing what he did and what he accomplished. It was, uh, uh, God, man, I was pumped. Cause he, I mean, he had to beat a two-time world champ to make the team just to make the finals. He had beat Harry Lester, who was one of the best in the world, a medal favorite, maybe a gold medal favorite going into that year. He had medaled the previous two years. And, and then he had a guy that came from Turkey, uh, in the finals and, uh, nobody thought he could do it either nobody thought he was making the team and and I believed in him and he believed in himself really so uh man that was a phenomenal weekend and he was down in those series too like he was down big he lost he lost uh so he had he had like a a first round and then he had the semis with Harry and then he had two matches with Farouk and he lost the first period every time so it's two out of three periods right so he he lost the first period of every match and in that second match, which was the most amazing, he was, he was down. It was like four or five, nothing in the second period and came back and won the period and then came back and won the match. So it was, he lost a period down five, nothing, six points is a check. There's my doggy again. Uh, and okay. he came back and won and man, I had a torn ACL and I just had surgery, but I could jump for joy when that happened. I remember. So <laughs> it was, it was awesome. I mean, just for him to get through those matches just shows you how many tough he is. And then just for him to make the weight, I mean, the weight cut alone, like he's just such a, you know, like I said, I've had him on. I love hearing about his stories and you've worked with so many elite young wrestlers. What was it about Deitzler that that just stood out? Like, was it the capacity he could take on? I mean, what was it? Yeah, I I think really that's part of it. But, you know, I remember when he was in high school and uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, actually a former opponent of mine, one of my guys I used to have to wrestle all the time, but I'm like, yeah, I got this guy, man. He's a great athlete. Uh, he's coachable and he works his tail off, you know? So it's like, so he's like, so he's pretty much the perfect wrestler. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> you know? wow. So it's just like, and, and any style he, if he, you know, he competed a little bit in college, but he never really was able to train because he hit his head. So he went and wrestled like Kyle Dake with zero training. Like he was just, basically thrown in there because he couldn't train because of his head and um and he still was a very good folk style wrestler and if he would have been able to wrestle man it would have been it would have been fun to watch I mean any style he wrestled he was he was good at and uh so yeah he was uh he was a phenomenal athlete in in person and yeah I love him so he's awesome and I appreciate you sharing that just because it's it's cool to have it come full circle and I'm sure that had a lot to do with what you're doing now at Pinnacle and uh kind of changed the trajectory of everything. And now you and Lawrence, uh, who's also been on the show. I'd love the Minnesota guys. You guys are leading, you know, one of the top academies in the country. And it's just awesome to see. And Brandon Paulson, a pleasure to have you on, sir. A Hall of Famer. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Take care. The Spartan Nationals are coming to Jacksonville, Florida, April 8th through the 10th. Wrestle freestyle, folk style, Greco and Beach. 
at the Spartan Nationals. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. That's SpartanCombat.com. Now let's get to the episode with Brandon Paulson. <laughs> 